I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Multiple New York Times and USA Today best-selling author Jill Shalvis lives in a small town in the Sierras full of quirky characters. Any resemblance to the quirky characters in her books is mostly coincidental. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for having me. You had quite a spring with the weather in Tahoe this year. Did it affect your writing? It did affect my writing only because everyone was forced to be housebound in the house that I was trying to write in. (laughs) So that was fun. Good times for all. You know, there's two babies in the house, a one and a two-year-old. So it's always a challenge, much more so when there's 20 feet of snow and they're all inside. (laughs) Jealous. We love the snow. We love the babies. We love the writing, but all of it at the same time is hard. <laughs> a lot. Since we talked, I finished the audiobook, The Family You Make, and then my husband listened and both of us really enjoyed it. The next one in the Sunrise Cove series is coming out soon. Can you tell us about the Friendship Pact? Friendship Pact comes out June 14th. I've always wanted to write a story where there were two heroines, one mother and daughter, and the mother of having had the main heroine when she was a teenager. So here we've got Tay and April, and they're only 14 years apart. So basically, if you ask Tay, my main heroine, she would say she raised her mom versus the other way around. And that would probably insult April. So they have that kind of complicated relationship. But it's also the love story, a second chance love story with April, who met the one She didn't know he was the one. She was very young. She was a very young teenager and she blew it. And so it's kind of the story of what happens when you get the miracle of a second chance at that love story. Oh, very cool. I saw that you were originally had written under a pseudonym, Jill Sheldon. Why the change? Uh, That was, you know, back in the ice age. And (laughs) I could not get an American publisher to pay me any attention at all. So I was writing for a UK publisher who's defunct now, but they gave me my first shot and they couldn't say the name Chavez and they couldn't spell the name Chavez. And so they insisted on a pseudonym. So I wrote four books for them. This is back way back before things were more PC as they are now. And so I finally sold into an American publisher and I was able to use my name. So I did. That's the last she wrote about that. (laughs) That was 101 books ago. Oh my gosh. Yes, maybe even more, to be frank. I think wow. I I lost track because it makes me feel really old, but I know I've written somewhere in the vicinity of 110, but you have to keep in mind, a lot of those are novellas. A lot of those were the shorter category romance novels. I'm writing much bigger, longer, wider scope stories now, and I'm only writing two a year. So I'm not writing nearly the same pace I used to. I went to college to be a journalist and I kept failing out of my class. I would go to my teacher at the time and say, what is going on? Why can't I write stories to please you? And I had embellished these stories because I couldn't stand not embellishing stories. And he would say, because you're lying. You know, they expect you to write nonfiction without embellishing anything. Who knew? So I figured out that it was fiction that I was supposed to write. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is funny. That's how I ended up in fiction instead of nonfiction. A little little detail. I had a problem with the truth. (laughs) You're a writer too. They pay us 
to make up shit for a living. <laughs> so it's, it was a very natural fit for me. I'll just say that. <laughs> That's great. I've heard you talk about how you use a series Bible to keep track of your people and places. Yes. Is this like a physical notebook or is it something you keep on your computer? It's both anymore now, even though I'm writing in a series called Sunrise Cove. And before that, I was writing in a series called Wildstone. Those two series are truly standalone books. They're connected only by the setting. Wildstone takes place on the beach in the mid coast of California, one of my favorite places in the whole world. And Sunrise Cove takes place in my other favorite place in the whole world, which is Tahoe, which is where I actually live. So I do keep a Bible on these series, but it's mostly about the setting, what I've used, what I haven't, what I fudged about the location, because I do fudge when I'm writing in a real place. I actually fudge the location sometimes for convenience sake, for fiction sake. But back with the series before these two, I wrote in Heartbreaker Bay and Lucky Harbor, and those series are connected characters. So I had to keep a very detailed Bible and I would have a notebook where I would write everything down and then input it later at a later time into the Bible on my computer. So I have it immortalized on my computer because there's so many people, so many descriptions, so many ages and things and places and things that you've mentioned, things that you haven't yet mentioned that you want to mention that you have to keep track of. I don't know how people do it without a Bible. I just don't have that kind of memory. Lucky Harbor has 12 books in it and they're actually So it's not so intimidating. It's actually four sets of trilogies. So they're just trilogies. You don't have to read all 12. I mean, you can read one of the trilogies, right? But it still involved a very detailed, very detailed Bible so that I didn't make mistakes. Because when you make mistakes, readers will tell you. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Like how many characters do you think you have for each series? Do Do you have any way to know? Well, okay. So I can guess the Wildstone series, for instance, had seven books. So there was probably, I usually do like a heroine or two. Sometimes each of these stories have two heroines and at least one hero. So let's assume most of these have two love stories. So there's four main leads. And then each of these people have like, you know, families and best friends. So maybe, maybe there's 20 characters in one of the books and then there's seven books. So it's a lot to keep track of. Even What about names? Like, have you had to recycle? How many Bills and Joes and... Bob's can you have? And that's the biggest reason I keep a Bible. So I don't repeat names, but it still happens occasionally. I'll repeat a name occasionally just because I love the name more often than it being an actual mistake. Like I can't help myself. I've used Ben a couple of times because he's one of my favorite names. You know, it just is (laughs) Noah. I've used twice because I love that name. So in those cases, readers, I love you. They're not mistakes. I just love those names. (laughs) But for the most you know, I have a very detailed, I have like a master character list and I have it on Excel so I can sort it by character name. If that's all I remember or the title, if I can't remember the name, I can at least search it under the title. It's complicated when there's this many books. So I'm guessing you outline. I do outline in great detail. Actually, I didn't used to a long time ago. I would just fly by the seat of my pants and I would lose things. I'd forget threads of stories. And that just drove me nuts. I'm a little OCD. I couldn't handle it. So now I just, I created a very detailed outline that is almost a first draft. Wow. You know, I divide it up by scene. And then sometimes if I have some dialogue in my head, I hurry up and I put that down because I don't want to lose it. And then future Jill loves past Jill because we're doing that a lot of the times. 
<laughs> Future Jill and past Jill. <laughs> I mean, great. present Jill sucks, but past Jill is awesome. <laughs> In terms of producing multiple books a year, what is your writing schedule look like? Well, I'm really only doing two a year now. These are bigger, longer books, and they take me five months to write. And you would think, oh, she's got two months off a year. How great that must be. That is not true because I'm busy doing non-writing writing stuff like this podcast, which I love. I love to do podcasts. I love to connect with readers, librarians. I love doing those things, but they take time. And the outlining of a book takes time. And then there's there's revisions. So literally there's no time left. The life is consumed with writing. That's just how it is. It's the job we chose. Right. <laughs> Book page said you have a knack for translating real life relationships to the page. Amidst the character development, plotting, setting, you know, doing all that, where does the relationship fall when you're outlining? For me, the love story is the most important part always. One thing you can count on is you're always going to get happy ever after with me. It may not be the one that you envisioned for these people. It may not even be the people that you think is going to get the happy ever after, but there will be. Happy ever after. I'm also never going to kill a dog or a cat. Those are certainties. (laughs) You know, other than that, I don't know. I just know that I always put the love story first in my mind and the characters first in my mind, and then the rest comes. Nice. Well, it works. You know, stick with what works. Do you outline? I was outlining in great detail, and I found that I would get in the book, and it was almost like the book was losing its energy. And so then what I started doing is making a less detailed outline and maybe putting more planning time into the character's misbeliefs, you know, kind of using the save the cat model, doing more character study versus the outline. Cause I kind of know, like, I know how it's going to start. I know how it's going to end. Of course, there's that, you know, messy middle, but then I'll go in usually about halfway and kind of outline. Then it's like, okay, here's where we need to shore it up. Cause then when you get in there, you know, what's missing. There's two things to learn from that. One, everyone has their own path and that's okay. Everyone does it different. Please don't ever, ever read something or listen to someone who says, this is the only way, because that's not true. Someone else's way won't work for you. You have to find your own way. And the other thing is characters is the most important part of this. I start with characters. I create like a little sheet for them. And if I don't know how they will respond in a specific instance, then you haven't gone deep enough. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to ask a question of all of your characters and know they're each going to answer differently and know how they would answer. And then you're ready to write. And whether you have an outline or not, you're ready to write if you know your characters. I agree. And that's something that's taken me a while to figure out. You know, that first one you spend so much time on, you get to know them really well. I mean, my husband would go, this agent wants you to revise it again. I'm like, yeah, but you know, it makes it better. Every time it gets better. The more you revise multiple it. Drafts. I wrote like my book, the first draft, I would die if anybody saw it and probably would die (laughs) if anybody saw draft two. And then I do draft three and I'm adding heart and soul to each draft. And sometimes it's draft four. It's never less than draft four that my editor gets. Sometimes it's draft five, six or seven. And then if she has revisions and there's another draft, she doesn't always have revisions, thankfully, but I don't see how anybody could be right out of the gate with draft one. Like Lori Frankel said, she throws away like 300,000 words. And I asked her, I said, what are you throwing away? And she said, if I knew ahead of time, I'd have, <laughs> I'd have a lot more books out there. <laughs> like, okay. I do not do that it, because I have an outline. And I should say this, the outline takes as long as it takes other people to write their book. So then I feel like I know what I'm doing. So I'm not throwing away words like that, but I can definitely say I don't always 100% follow my outline. I can get halfway and think, oh, you know what? 
I'm going to make an adjustment, but then I stop and I adjust the outline. So I still have a roadmap for me. I need a roadmap. Not everybody does. When you come to your writing desk in the morning, I'm assuming, what does that look like when you've got this outline ready? Mm -hmm. Where do you go from there? So I have my manuscript and then right next to it, I have my outline on my screen. I see both and I read the chapter that I want to write that day. And I think, Mm, that's good. Or mm, that sucks. And I go from there. So if it's good, I go with what it's said to do. And then, you know, as I'm typing, I, of course, expand it and you show movement, you show feelings, emotions and stuff that aren't in your outline. And you put more dialogue in, obviously. But because it's still just a second draft to me, I'm not worried about, is it perfect? I don't go back. I don't look at it. Close up at the end of the day without looking at it. And then the next day I open them both again. And I keep going. I personally can't look back because I will never go forward. There are some people who look back and polish as they go. I'm not one of those neat and pretty tidy writers. I wish I was. I've tried to be, but it's polarizing to me. I well, have and to you go back. Sounds like forward. you go back on version four, version five, mm-hmm. and do all the, you know, tweak things here and there. And I will say doing it that way and taking my time with the outline, which is basically draft one, really, if I did it right, it's basically copy and paste. It's draft one. And then by the time I have gone through it, smoothed it over, added some heart, some soul, some humors, some tender, loving care. By doing that, I don't get as many revisions as I would if I didn't do that. Well, now you're making me want to tweak some things. I'm going to try some new things. I just started try a some new things, novel yesterday. But, so but know that like you have your own path. Maybe, right. maybe you have to go back and polish as you go. A lot of people do that. You know, I'm trying to also be open to new things. Cause I think sometimes like I kept going back going, Oh, I need to outline. I need to stick to this outline. And then I'd get in there and I thought, this isn't fun. This isn't. This yeah, don't stick to an outline. That's not fun. And a lot of times I'll get halfway through and I'll think, Oh my God, this character is this. And I just am now realizing it on page 200 and that's okay. But yeah. if I wasn't willing to veer, then I wouldn't have that great thing. I just thought of your novels are heart and soul. And so it's, thank you. whatever you're doing, it's working. It well. me five freaking months to do. It's not like it's an easy thing. It's still torture. No matter how big you are, how small you are, how long your book is, how short your book is. This is not for everyone. It's right, a tough job. Right. When you began, who was your inspiration? I used to walk home from school and halfway home from school, there was a library. I would sneak into the library, go to the very back where there was uncategorized romance novels in the back and beanbag chairs. I'd sit down, I'd open my science book and I'd put a romance book in front of it and I would read it. And they were all historical. They were all naughty, deliciously naughty historicals. I mean, that's where I got my sex education and also a love for writing and reading. But I never read contemporary romance ever until I decided I was going to write a book. And I thought it was a suspense. And I sent it off. And the editor called me and she said, if you put the characters together at the end, give them a sex scene. I'll buy this and we'll call it romantic suspense. I'm like, what the heck is romantic suspense? (laughs) And so then I went off and started reading and I found like Nora Roberts from back in the day. Like this is in the 90s. And I found Sandra Brown and like all these really great. I was fascinated I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm writing romance for the rest of my life. That's what I'm going to do. And 110 books later. Still here. (laughs) A little bird told me about a group of romance writers who assemble every year to brainstorm. And I hear you're one of them. So how does that propel your writing? Well, COVID really derailed us. We used to meet at the beach 
a couple of us live in snow country and we would meet in the beach in LA, like Manhattan beach or, or Santa Monica in February, we'd get on a plane, get out of the snow and we'd sit on the beach and we would plot together for four or five days. And it was wonderful. And then COVID derailed us. So we haven't been together in three years. Oh, so I'm hoping we get back to it, but it is hugely helpful to plot out loud with people. Do you actually plot out a whole book when you're there? Or are you just kind of brainstorming? We kind of just brainstorm and then we go home and each of us does our own thing because some of us outline, some of us don't, but it's helpful when you have a germ of an idea. For instance, the friendship pack, I had the germ of the idea of love lost at an early age, and then you get the miracle of a second chance. And that was kind of all I knew, you know? So I go, we go down and we talk about it and we talk about him. Who is he? Why would he let her go? Why would she let him go? Like, building characters in your mind. It's very helpful to talk it out. You have all these characters. So how do you choose the leads and the locations when you begin a new series? That's really hard because to me, the location is a character. So I've always set things in places I love. Heartbreaker Bay is set in San Francisco where two of my daughters live. And it's my third favorite place in the whole world. (laughs) So I have to love this place. And I happen to love California, which is why I'm usually in California. Lucky Harbor was set in the Pacific Northwest, which I also love. Cedar Ridge, a huge favorite of mine, is just three books in Cedar Ridge. It's set in the mountains of Colorado. So I pick a place that I love so that it becomes a character in my head. And right now I'm writing in Sunrise Cove is Lake Tahoe where I live and it's my personal playground and I couldn't have found a better place. So really, I would say people sometimes don't pay enough attention to their setting. If you treat it like a character, it will become a richer, warmer book for it. So what are the things that are missing that you observe in other writing? I try very hard to never point out what I think is missing because it's just my one opinion and there's a million trillion different opinions. But if we're talking about setting, basically it's what I've said is treat it like a character. You have to love it that much so that it becomes a character in the reader's minds. Describe where you're at, senses, all five senses, you know, who, what, when, where, why, every scene. What can you hear? What can you see? What does the hero or heroine hear and see and feel as the scene is going on? When you start a series, are you working with an editor and they say, okay, this series is going to be like seven? No, I write for HarperCollins. The imprint is Avon. I have the most amazing editor. She never limits me. She just wants me to write what I want to write. Basically. So we start out with something. We have an idea that it's going to possibly be a series. We have no idea how many books are going to be in the series. We stay until it doesn't feel right anymore. And then I find something else. I only left Wildstone because it was seven books. And sometimes readers pick up a book. And even though I've said all along, they're all separate. You can read them in any order. Some readers don't believe me and they want to read them in order. They won't pick up book 10 because that's too overwhelming to read book one through nine. So sometimes I leave a series before my heart wants to, just so that readers stay with me. That makes sense. You had small children when you began writing, correct? Yes. Now I have have grandbabies. Now you have grandbabies. Though, did your stories change too? Well, first of all, I had children when I was 12. Let's go back. (laughs) And yes, I think stories didn't change as I age so much as they've changed with the times. Like things have changed. There's a Me Too era. You can't really do alpha asshole heroes anymore. At least I can't, I don't believe in it anymore. Things are just different for all of us. I don't believe you can write to a trend, but I believe you should at least write for the time that you're writing in. I'm writing a contemporary story. So I have to be telling a contemporary story. I read an interview 
where you discussed your love of bacon. What is your favorite way to have it prepared? I don't even remember doing that. Did I say that? <laughs> I, I mean, I do. Do don't you still wrong, love I bacon? Do, I do love bacon. I don't eat that much meat anymore, but I eat bacon <laughs> any chance I get. Anytime my husband takes me out to breakfast, I will eat bacon. I don't know why. Even though I don't even like meat necessarily anymore, that's something. And hot dogs. I don't know what it is. It's bacon and hot dogs. You know, we recently went to this farm. I'm writing a story now that's set a little tiny, like a tree farm, like Christmas trees. And they have a little rescue farm animal refuge on this farm. And so I went, took the whole family. We went to a farm. We did some research and I just fell in love with the pigs. And I thought, oh no, (laughs) I I can't ever eat bacon or hot dogs again. And then the next week we went out to breakfast and I had bacon. Somehow I can separate it out. I don't know what that says about me. (laughs) What does it say about don't name your food? You don't name your food. Don't ask me where it came from. Don't tell. You have shared your expertise very generously at writing conferences, and I'm grateful as I've been in some of those sessions. With all the changes in publishing, what would you tell a debut author? I would tell a debut author the same thing I would tell an author who's been burnt out or having trouble getting sales because I've been all of those things. I started out in the days where you had to like submit by mail and wait to hear back, and I could have wallpapered my entire house with the rejections. I could have wallpapered this whole street I live on with rejections. So basically it's don't give up, just sit your butt in the chair and write the best story you can write and revise and revise and smooth over. Don't be in a hurry. It's worth your time to spend the extra month sharpening that story and making it what you think is perfect before you put it out. And it will sell if you do that. If you give it everything you've got, you will finally find your readers. Nice. Well, thank you, Jill. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. To learn more, visit jillshalvis.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.